In Her Shoes, a show that helps you understand what it's like to be a woman, especially a woman of color. In Her Shoes starts now. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda. Welcome to In Her Shoes, where we provide education, inspiration, and strategies for women who want to expand their knowledge and their reach and get to the next level in the workplace and in life. We know that all lives matter. And we know that for all of us, we are more than just one thing. But I wanna introduce you to someone who, for me, epitomizes how all of that comes together. The melding of different perspectives, the melding of different lives, the melding of being more than one thing. I'm gonna introduce you to uh, the police chief for the city of Durham, and her name is Patrice Andrews. Patrice Andrews rejoined the Durham Police Department on November 1st in 2021 as the chief of police. She previously served as the chief of police for the Morrisville Police Department from June of 2016 until October of 2021. Prior to being appointed as the chief of police in the town of Morrisville, Andrews was the commander of the Criminal Investigations Division with the Durham Police Department. During her 24-year law enforcement career, Andrews has held positions in Uniform Patrol, Criminal Investigation, Special Operations Division, Warrant Squad, Office of the Chief of Police, and the High Enforcement Abatement Team. Andrews graduated cum laude from a, with a BS in Criminal Justice from North Carolina Central University. In addition, she is a graduate of the 263rd session of the FBI National Academy in Quantico, Virginia, as well as a graduate of the West Point Leadership Academy. In June 2018, Andrews was reappointed to the Governor's Crime Commission and is member of the Special Committee on School Violence, as well as chair of the Crime Victim Services Committee. So, after all of that, you have got to recognize that this is a bad woman we're about to speak to right now. Welcome, Chief Patrice Andrews. Thank you so much, Dr. Linda. It's I really appreciate it. I, uh, I it was all that me. I I tell you that's <laughs> you don't realize how much is <laughs> until you put it on paper. But yeah, my you goodness. should be tired. No, you should be you <laughs> <laughs> exhausted. <laughs> that explains it. Then that explains it. <laughs> you know, well, I'm you. going to I'm going to make another statement about the duality and the intersections of who we are because. If I were to just read that, I would get a certain impression of someone who is very strong, very tough, very determined, someone who perseveres, all of those qualities, and that's you. But at the same time, having the opportunity to look at you, you are such a beautiful Black woman. You've got softness and femininity in your face. And it's like, how do those two things come together? And so again, we are more than just one thing. You might look all soft and pretty, but I would not want to meet you on the wrong side of the law, not with all of the stuff that's going on in your background. Well, thank you. Thank you. Like, as my grandmother would always say, you know, apparently this has become a new thing now, Vaseline. But let me tell you something. My grandmother used to say, you better put some Vaseline on your skin uh, and keep yourself looking you know, good, you know? Everything old gets new again because <laughs> I remember I'm, 
uh, originally I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And so the winters in New York City are awfully cold. And Vaseline was your best source of defense going out in that cold weather. Forget all those pretty lotions that smell good. You put some Vaseline on your face and your hands before you went out to meet Jack Frost. Ooh, yeah. That is right. They just slide right off of you. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good. Well, let me get to what it is that I invited you here for today. I'd like to find out first and foremost, what made you decide to go into law enforcement? Well, I will tell you, I'm going to give you the cliff notes version. So I never wanted to be a police officer. That was not even on my radar. Um, When I graduated from high school in 1991, I actually went to Hampton University for a short period of time because I actually wanted to be a marine biologist. Hmm. And I love, you know, I love the ocean, conservation, all that stuff. That's my thing. Well, apparently you had to be really good at biology and all of that stuff. I was not. And, uh, and I was really homesick because that was the first time I had ever really been away from home. And uh, I came, I called my dad, my parents, and I said, I really want to come home. So they said, well, come on home. And, and I transferred to North Carolina Central University in the, in, in the 90s. And uh, that's where I just kind of uh, just lost my mind, as mm-hmm. folks would say. Um, I fell in love and life happened. And um, North Carolina Central University, uh, I, I, I did poorly in school. Poorly is, it, is, is maybe giving me too much credit. I was expelled because I did not go to class um, and, and, and ended up, life happened. I had children. Well, I had my first child very early on before I even knew what it was like to be an adult. Um, and, uh, and I realized too, that this was not, I wanted more because at that point in time I had to, I was working job to job to job. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was on government assistance, um, food stamps, section eight, you know, pro government programming. And I wanted more stability because one thing I was not going to do was go back home. Yeah. And, you know, I just didn't want to carry that with me home. I've always wanted to make my parents very, very proud of me. And, and I, and I just didn't want to go home and, and it was not. And so one day I was at uh, the veterinary hospital where I worked as a receptionist and I opened the newspaper and the Durham police department was hiring. And I realized that this was my opportunity. Didn't know what I was going to have to do. Had never, you know, police officer, no, nothing from nothing. Um, and, but I knew one thing I said, I said, girl, you have insurance benefits. <laughs> You're going to be making a whopping 24,000, $23,400 or $72. You know, I was going to be rich and, you know, I had this, it, it just had what I needed at the time. What I didn't realize is that I always reflect on is that even at that moment, at that time, my steps were ordered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always tell my daughter, what you're doing right now might not have been what you set out to do. Um, but this is, you know, your steps are ordered. This is where you were meant to be. And so I think in that moment at that time, that was the beginning of my journey. And I quickly fell in love with law enforcement and, you know, the ups and the downs, everything. And this was law enforcement during a time where there weren't many women uh, and there certainly weren't many black women. Black women that's right. 
And, uh, but what I knew very early on was that I wanted to make a difference, you know, in both policies, procedures, things, the way we did things, how we treated people. Uh, and the only way to do that would be to uh, apply for promotion in advance. And so that's what I ended up doing. I worked really hard, um, often lost a lot of time with, with, uh, with my first child. I went on to have my second child um, in 2005, but, um, you know, I lost a lot during that time, but I also learned a lot and a lot of sacrifices. And so um, that's what put me in the profession. Um, but really it's, 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 you know, God having that pathway already lined out for me is what has kept me here. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting because so much of the time when we do go to college, we have an idea in our heads of what we want to do and life happens. And what we end up doing is not necessarily what we thought we were going to be doing. And so, yeah, I can see that. And when your steps are ordered and clearly yours were for you to have gone from those beginnings up until being the police chief. I mean, that's an amazing story and one that certainly should be inspirational for a lot of people. So I would imagine that in your climb, particularly as you talked about the fact that there weren't a lot of women and certainly not black women, what would you say was one of the more difficult challenges that you faced or that black women face in law enforcement? Mm. Well, so I will tell you then it was really figuring out who I was in this male dominated profession, because then, you know, to really fit in, you had to be one of the guys, mm -hmm. right? You had to be willing to put up with a certain amount of, of overt in your face sexual harassment. And, you know, you kind of grin and bear it, right? Because you couldn't really speak out because yeah. uh, you just didn't have the support, you know, and women that I looked to that looked like me, you know, were, were in other agencies. And um, it was very hard to make that, that connection with them. Um, and, and so that, for me was, was the most difficult thing. And then at some point, and I don't know what happened that made me just kind of do an about face almost, but I realized that it was not working for me, you know, trying to fit in with those that didn't look like me, certainly weren't my gender, didn't have the same struggles as me, mm -hmm. wasn't going to work. And uh, I realized that in order for me to move forward, in a productive and not self-destructive manner, mm -hmm. I really had to be my genuine self. Yeah. And that was hard. Yeah. And that's why, or one of the reasons why I do the work that I do today with respect to trying to make workplace cultures more inclusive. My training firm goes into businesses, organizations, and municipalities. And what we attempt to do is raise the level of awareness so that people see the discrimination, the inequities, the microaggressions that take place. Because as you're telling your story, I think about in my early career, how I would go in and sometimes I'm going into like say a power plant where on the outside it's labeled that the EEOC has found it to be a hostile work environment. So here I come this little black chick from Brooklyn to tell oh. you guys how to be more inclusive. And some of the things that I had to endure, I would literally at the end of my training, get in my car and cry all the way back to my hotel room. I had to be strong in the room. I wasn't gonna let them break me, but at some point you have to stop and release that. And what I really 
find interesting is that regardless of the industry that you're in, today's Black woman still faces so much of that, where we, we summon up the strength we need in the moment, but what we have to remember to do is release it. It's okay to cry. Yes. It's okay to go in your closet and scream. It's okay to pound on the table. Do what you need to. Just don't harm yourself or anyone else, but let yes. that pass out or it will kill you. It will That's really it. kill you. Yeah, the That's first right. time I had to come to grips with something like that. Okay, so when I was growing up, I went to uh, private schools. I was fortunate enough to be able to go to private schools after the uh there was an education strike in New York City. And then my parents took me out of public school, put me in private school. When I graduated from high school, I skipped the 12th grade. I was 16 years old and I had been accepted to Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. So I turned 17 the summer before I got there, but I'm this little naive 17 year old. Even though I grew up in Brooklyn, I had a sheltered life growing up middle class in a nice neighborhood. I, and I'm the youngest, I was pretty sheltered. So I get to Smith and there was a two week class for uh, students of color, incoming freshmen who um, were coming, you know, from inner city, you could, it was sort of an adjustment. It was called bridge because it was just that, the bridge between where you were coming from and now this Ivy League institution. And it was run by students of color. So there was a question that was asked of me at 17 that still resonates with me today. And the question was to the effect of, do you, which do you identify with more, being black or being female? Now, how many mm. people ever have to dissect themselves like that? I tell this story a lot because it's so powerful for me. Most people don't have to dissect themselves, but we do. And it was the first mm -hmm. time I was ever really faced with that. And I had to decide which one do I resonate with more? Am I more black than female or am I more female and black? Because many of the programs and things set aside for blacks have a male orientation. And the right. things set aside for women have a white orientation. So here again, that intersectionality that I opened okay. with. As a Black woman, you're stuck in the middle without really having any resources for yourself. So now I even lay on top of that for you, the, the Black and the Blue. Part of your life is in Black Lives Matter. But as a police right. chief, you've got to balance with the Blue Lives Matter. So how do you do that? How do you balance the Black and the Blue? Oh, you know, that, that is a, Ooh, I mean, that's a, it's tough. It's tough because when you, you know, you, you, first of all, you are a black person. Mm -hmm. That's a woman. And you're putting on this uniform that has long been known for its oppressive history. Yes. For, especially here in the South, Particularly right? For blacks and women. Right. Yeah. For blacks and women. And, and so it's almost something that, that you, I mean, sometimes I wonder, you know, what was I, what was I thinking? You know, why would I want to be a part of something so ugly and with a history that wasn't too long ago of, you know, just the, the, the water cannons and the dogs and the yeah. images that we see, but also too now still carrying forward, you know, to, to what we see on our television screens today. Yes. Uh, I, 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 there was a time where I struggled with that, but what I had to do was say, as a black woman, it is my responsibility to bring forward and wear this uniform and bring forward my experiences mm -hmm. to help better the profession. Yeah. 
Because what I found is that sometimes people will rely on stories um, of how other people are treated from people that look like them. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll develop our own um, kind of narrative. So if, you know, if we're talking to, if a white person is talking to another white person about a black person's experience, but the black person is not a part of the conversation, then how are you even going to get full context? Right. Right. Um, so, so for me, it's, you know, when we talk about law enforcement and how officers interact with all members of their community, but really specifically people of color, how can you have that conversation without having the representation? Mm. Um, And so for me, I had to really start to say, listen, this, instead of me viewing it as almost a, 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 a situation or a curse, right? Being in this uniform and the duality of it. Right. I look at it as an opportunity. So, you know, yes, are there difficult times where people, you know, call me all sorts of of names and things like that? Absolutely. But I know that that comes from something and a place that's not associated with me per se as Patrice Andrews, but it's this badge that I wear across my my heart, right? Um, And so I have to put it in that context and then challenge myself each day to say, because you are a black woman in this profession, you have a responsibility to black people and also to women uh, to tell their story in an accurate way in this profession so that we can make the profession better. It's a heavy load to carry. It really is. (laughs) Personally, I thank you. Like I said, we may not live in the same city, but I thank you for your service because it if more Black women are in law enforcement, it sets an example for others to see of the professionalism of Black women and the strength of Black women, et cetera. It also gives hope to those of us who are civilians that there are people in there getting involved in policies and practices that may help make our lives better and help us to elevate to the next level. So thank mm-hmm. you for, for doing that. What, um, what advice do you have for Black women who, well, first let's start with Black women who find themselves possibly being harassed or abused by police officers. What, what should a woman do? Um, you know, there are some things I, I remember, I'm the, the mother of two sons and through marriage I have a daughter, but in terms of raising my sons, we would have to tell them what to do when you're pulled over because the likelihood was pretty high, particularly raising them in the mm-hmm. South. It was pretty high, you might get pulled over. Here's what you do. So there's certain things we, we need to instill in people, but I think sometimes emotions get caught up and certainly the clips that we see on social media and the news, et cetera, when, if you find yourself as a black woman in a position like that and you feel like the police are being unfair or they're being abusive, what advice would you give to women to conduct themselves and come out of that situation alive? Well, you know, this, what I'll say is that what we are finding is that women are also likely to, um, to be the victims of, um, of police brutality and violence at the hands of police officers. I mean, we've seen that. I mean, obviously the, you know, the story and the tragedy of Breonna Taylor Um, you know, but she is only just but one representation of so many more. Um, and I think it's important that we, you know, we, we, the same talk that we are giving our young men that we also give it to our young women. 
And one is that you are never going to, and I put these in quotes, say win an encounter. Yeah. So if a law enforcement officer has you in a traffic stop or has you detained, you know, you're not that that law enforcement officer has you under his or her control. Yeah. And so anything that you do or say at that point can only either make things worse or, you know, it could de-escalate a situation. If you find yourself in that uh, situation, it's important that it's reported. So once you are out of it, it's important that it's reported. I always tell people, listen, if you want to file a complaint, but don't really know what's the best way to go about, or just don't trust necessarily filing it directly with, you know, a professional standards division, Mm -hmm. email the chief directly. Okay. You know, file the complaint with the chief of police directly. And that would start the process. Also advocate for yourself. Yeah. You know, there's this, what is the saying? The squeaky wheel is it, it always gets the oil, right? Advocate for yourself. Just as we always say, we have to advocate for ourselves in healthcare and for what's best for our children and education. We also have to advocate for ourselves out here in these criminal justice streets. Right. Uh, because it's important that we are not forgotten. Uh, and I think all too often, you know, we sometimes become a number uh, and, and we are forgotten. So it's yeah. important to continue to advocate, um, you know, for, for ourselves. Yeah. And I like what you said about, you know, even though we have to put it in the quotation marks, you're, you're not going to win. You know, that police officer has authority and control at that point in time. So the best thing to do is give in yield to the authority and control. And if you need to take some action afterwards, you know, by filing the complaint or whatever, do so. But you're right. There are some situations that we do see on the news where had the person responded differently to the police officer, they might be alive today. And so regardless of whether or not you feel you're being pulled over justifiably or unjustifiably, there are sometimes situations where their actions caused a reaction in that police officer, because we do have to remember that, you know, police officers are human too. And when you think about it, if that's, if that officer is a member of your family, your biggest concern is you want to make sure your family member comes home safe at the end of the day too. So now there are these struggles of power and there's no way as civilians we can win, but I certainly would love for everyone who ever feels as if they are mistreated in any way, not just by police officers, but any place of employment. You know, if you're where you work or if you go into a bank or a supermarket or anywhere, if you feel like someone is treating you inappropriately, it's something that should always be reported. So yeah, it's important to report it because I will tell you, you never know which report is the one that gets that officer removed from the job because you don't know if you're one of one complaint or you're one of 15 or 20. That's right. Right. And I think it's, you know, it's critically important that, you know, we can't always as, as chiefs, we can't always see what every officer is doing. Um, because the expectation that I have for my officers and any chief has for their officers is that we will operate with the utmost of professionalism, that we are the ones that are in control of that situation. And therefore we should be able to control in a professional way. Mm. But if we are acting as anything other than that, then certainly 
you know, that needs to be addressed. Um, and, you know, because you just don't know that if your complaint brought forward is the first one or the 15th one. That's right. That one uh, needs to be just the one to tip the, the scales Correct. to make somebody do something. Exactly. Correct. How yes. large is your, your police force? About how many officers do you have? So we have uh, 637 officers. Okay. So, sorry, 637 total. Um, 125 of those are our non-sworn staff. So mm -hmm. they are, you know, our, our staff that are, are not sworn as, as law enforcement officers, but they held critically important support roles within the agency. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a lot of people to be responsible for. There's a yeah. lot, lot of weight on your shoulders. Excellent. Yeah. Well, the conversation always goes fast. It never feels like enough time to me. But as we wrap up, there are really two things that I'd like to know. I'd like to know what advice you have for women who are considering a career in law enforcement, because um, as we said earlier, you know, representation matters. And the more women we get in law enforcement positions, the better. But I also want to know what can we as civilians do to support you? You know, you are the one, you and your team and, and all the, the officers around the country are really putting their lives on the line to protect us. And so we can't just focus on the few. And I do believe it's probably more of a few who are behaving inappropriately. We have to look at the masses who every day they leave to protect us, not knowing whether or not they'll make it back home to their loved ones. So what should women do who are considering a career in law enforcement and what can we as civilians do to help support law enforcement? Mm. So I would say, first of all, women wanting to embark in this profession, don't be, don't stand in your own way, right? Don't second guess your ability because, you know, the important part of you is not in how many sit-ups and push-ups and, you know, what you can bench press and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's really the important part of you that we need is, is the brain that mm. you have and the ability that women, we as women have uh, to be able to look at things in a, in a different light, to be able to kind of turn on that natural nurturing uh, that we are all born with um, in order to, to change the way the, the, the profession is viewed and also to really be there and be that steady and guiding hand. Um, representation matters. It really does because in order for us to change, people have to be able to look within their agency and see, you know, people of all color in the agency of, you know, all ethnicities in the agency, mm -hmm. uh, being diverse and inclusive, yes. genuinely inclusive seat at the table. That's the way we're going to be able to move forward. And I would say as far as our, you know, our community, you know, it's important that that as law enforcement professionals, we are held accountable, right? It's important that um, that we are are held accountable for our actions. I would also say this: it's also important to to be able to come to this to the table together, so community members and law enforcement. And you know, we we hear the problems, but we also want to partner. Um, with our community to, to reach a solution, whatever that is, because I can tell you, we all, although we, that we are more alike than we are different. Mm. Right. Uh, and, and, and we all want, you know, our, our, our community to be 
uh, to not to be policed, right? Um, we want policing to be a part of our community, but in a way that serves our community in a progressive and positive way um, in developing and growing our communities and walking hand in hand in partnership. And so that's just going to take that equal, you know, want desire to be a part of the solution and not, you know, continually let's let's be a part of the solution together. And I think that's what's so, so important. Great. Thank you so much. So Durham Police Chief Patrice Andrews, thank you so much for spending time thank you. With today. It was a pleasure speaking to you and hearing about your story, letting us walk in your shoes for a little while. And I thank you so much. And to all of you who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another episode of In Her Shoes. We'll be back with you again soon.